welcome to a new episode of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. For today's episode, I'm sitting down with Dr. Andrea Liner. Now, Dr. Liner is a licensed clinical psychologist and a certified clinic coach who helps people process, learn, and heal from breakups and also um, helping people to live healthier, um, happier relationships overall. So if you didn't already guess, today's episode is going to be all about dating and relationships and you know, a little bit of how to establish and maintain a healthy relationship in 2021. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy. First of all, doctor, um, how are you doing today and how's everything on your end? Hi, um, I am doing great. I'm very excited to be here. I love um, getting to speak with people about kind of what I do and what I'm working on. So I've been looking forward to this all day. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, well, I, I mean, to get started, um, could you please tell me a little bit about your background and what made you want to get into the field of psychology? Absolutely. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist, which means I went to school for a very long time. Um, and originally, I wanted to be a dentist. So I actually went into college doing a lot of biology and realized that the things I was most excited about um, learning were my human biology classes and the human brain and behavior, and my psychology um, electives. So I ended up having kind of a a weird college experience, shifting gears, getting into psychology, not really knowing um, that much about it in the undergrad world um, and realizing that there was a whole career I could make of just talking to people, getting to know them, hearing about their life and ideally helping them in some way. So when I realized that that was a facet of psychology, I didn't just have to be in a lab doing research. Um, I decided to go to grad school to uh, focus on practice and um, ended up in DC getting my doctorate in psychology and haven't looked back since. Nice. Nice. I'm, I'm originally from the DC area. That's, oh, that's no cool. way. <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely a pretty awesome place. Um, okay. I mean, that, that is interesting that you, you know, had that you changed gears in, in college. I think, um, I think that's where a lot of people figure out, you know, what, what they really want to do, you know, when you get put uh, doing something that doesn't interest you as much. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was lucky enough to realize it while I was still in school. Right. Well, what are the requirements to be a clinical psychologist and when, what exactly is a clinic coach anyway? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Um, well, the easiest part of that answer is the, the psychologist component and it varies a little bit state to state. Um, it's kind of like law where you can, you, you're barred in specific states your license in specific states for psychology. And typically being a licensed clinical psychologist means that you have a doctoral level degree um, in either clinical psychology or counseling psychology, that you do a year worth of postdoc hours where you're still being supervised. You get have to go through a huge licensing exam, license process, and then you have to do continuing education and renew your license every two years. So it's very regulated. Whereas the coaching world, um, not regulated, and there are no credentials that are actually required. There's no governing body or ethical board that manages that profession. So 
um, a woman um, who was a licensed marriage and family therapist for years named Katie Reed decided that because the coaching world has so much more flexibility for helping more people, you're not limited to what state you're licensed in. You can do things internationally. You can do things in a group format much easier that a lot of therapists had an interest in becoming coaches. And so she created a program that um, allowed you to get a certification where if you're already a licensed mental health professional, some form of therapist, either a counselor, um, social worker, or psychologist, that you could get this additional certification learning about the coaching world. And it's there to indicate to people that while you do coaching, you actually have clinical training and education. So it's kind of a way to stand out in the coaching world. Wow. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, um, if you're a coach and you see clinical psychologists there, I'm, that's definitely going to, um, you know, pull eyes right to you pretty quick. Yes. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, and I understand you've helped, uh, you know, hundreds of, you know, hundreds of clients attain and you know, maintain healthy relationships, um, as well as, heal from some very bad ones. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, is there any, is there any one in particular that stands out to you? Yes. I had a client, um, who I'm incredibly proud of who was in, um, an abusive marriage for a number of years and didn't necessarily realize how unhealthy and toxic the marriage was at times because there was so much emotional abuse and so much gaslighting going on that she was made to believe things were her fault. She was made to believe she didn't deserve better. She was made to believe that this is just what marriage is. And so through a couple of years of work together, this is when I was doing the therapeutic model. So we were actually working on other things that brought her to therapy, but it turned out as we started talking about her marriage and the impact that that had on her mental health, um, it became very apparent to me very quickly that it was not the best situation which is tricky because as a therapist, we're not supposed to just tell our clients what to do. I'm not going to say leave your husband. So I kind of had to very gently through a series of questioning and reflections back to her, help her understand that she was not happy in the relationship and helped her get her resources together to actually leave that relationship. And she is thriving now um, on her own. So that's one that just, if, if we hadn't worked together, I don't know what would have happened in that relationship. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, what, I mean, have you noticed any constants among many of the clients that you've seen um, in terms of age or interests or personality? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think part of it is that I pretty much advertise myself to work with millennials and older Gen Z. So a lot of twenties and thirties is the population I see the most. And When it comes to relationships and breakups, some of the constant scenarios that I see in that age group, um, there are two main scenarios I see. One is that people got into relationships at a very young age, high school or college, and they're now in their mid to late 20s, still in that relationship, trying to decide if that's actually the relationship they want forever and dealing with the pressures of kind of approaching that 30 years old milestone, feeling like they need to have it figured out, not necessarily wanting to start over at that point. So staying in some relationships that aren't the healthiest is a pattern I see a lot. And the other being people who, again, they're maybe they're single, but they're approaching an age or um, their friends are all starting to get married and things where they're feeling the pressure. 
And they decide that more than wanting to find someone who's a good fit, they just want to be done dating. So they'll date people and kind of force them into these molds that they don't really fit in, hoping that it will lead to marriage. And so they ignore a lot of red flags and they stay in unhealthy situations just because they want to be done. Right, right. And I mean, so that brings up like another question, actually. I mean, are there any, you know, would you say that there are any common red flags or um, subtle cues that you, you know, see from a behavioral standpoint that can be especially problematic in a relationship? Yes, there are so many different red flags, but a couple that I hear repeated a lot. One is um, just kind of keeping the relationship a secret, not wanting to introduce you to friends or family. Um, I hear about that a lot. And usually they justify it by saying, oh, I'm a private person, or sometimes they'll even use their career as an example and be like, oh, I just can't have any of that stuff public. Um, But oftentimes it means they're hiding you, they're ashamed, they're not ready to commit. Um, So that is a big red flag. And another one is just kind of jealous and controlling behavior. If you're feeling like you can't do what you want to do, you know, within reason, Um, but if you want to go hang out with friends and your partner, you know, wants you to share your location and call you when they get there and send a picture of you with a timestamp on it to make sure that's where you really are, or they don't want you wearing a certain thing. Those are, those are some pretty big red flags. Right. Right. And, and actually with the last thing that you, that you mentioned, um, you know, I, I feel like that kind of speaks to sort of an issue that, you know, that that person might have with, um, you know, horrible experiences that maybe they've been through in their own past that, you know, un- unfortunately they're bringing with them into the next relationship, like a lack of trust. Exactly. That, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that before. And that is, um, yeah, I, I feel like that's happening more and more this, this day and age. And mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so also, um, you know, how can we ourselves realize certain patterns that we find ourselves drawn into in relationships? Um, you know, I think there are, you know, certain patterns that, you know, sometimes we see, like sometimes, you know, for instance, uh, when, you know, some women being attracted to the bad boy type, what can we do to, um, you know, maybe realize and notice these patterns? Yes. So this is, it's something that sounds simple, but it's so challenging because, you know, think about the way you see the world. You don't see things directly to the sides of you and behind you. Those are the areas that we don't see as well. And the same thing kind of happens emotionally in relationships. So my, my first suggestion is a little plug for therapy or working with a relationship coach to have a third party kind of help you identify those things that you might not be able to see for yourself. So there's a plug for that. But if you're wanting to just do more self-reflection kind of work, um, consistently checking in with yourself on what feels familiar about this relationship that I'm beginning compared to other relationships I've had in my life. And where am I feeling a, a good sense of familiarity? Like it feels good, comfortable. And where am I feeling a bad sense of familiarity? Like, oh, you know, I was really nervous like this in my last relationship too. I wonder if there's something about the people I'm choosing that are bringing out my anxiety. Hmm. Just really curious with yourself on things like that. Interesting. All right. Well, you know, I also, you know, I feel like some of the healthiest relationships are those where, you know, you have two people uh, who complement one another, you know, and, and there's, and there's not pressure being placed upon one of the individuals to, you know, to quote unquote, save the other. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, what are your feelings on what makes a healthy relationship? Yeah, I think in general, obviously, you know, being in a good space mentally and self-esteem wise will make being in a relationship easier, although I don't think that it's absolutely necessary. Um, but the, the healthiest relationships that I see are ones that are based on mutual respect. Um, respect in relationships is something that is not talked about quite as much as I think it should be, um, where you know you you admire the other person for the efforts they make and you feel proud of them and you want to share them with the world around you. Um, that's important. There has to be that loyalty and trust piece. And I also think what I tell my clients, especially because I work with a lot of people in their early 20s um, in particular, that the healthiest relationships are when you're both fully cooked. And it's not to say that you can't have a lasting or wonderful relationship with someone you met in your youth, but relationships tend to go easier when you know exactly who you are, what your values are, what you want out of life, the direction you're going. Um, And when you know those things very concretely, and your partner knows those things concretely, you can actually move a lot faster in a relationship. Um, that's why, you know, as we get older, relationships tend to be a little shorter before deciding on marriage um, because it all you have it all already laid out. You're not figuring it out or you're not dealing with logistics that can get in the way like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not done with school for three years and you're in this other state and we might not be able to be in the same place for God knows how long those type things make it a little bit harder too. So the more stable you are in your life's phase and in who you are as a person that really helps with the health of the relationship. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges facing people in modern day relationships? I honestly think as much as I love it and it has its benefits, I think the internet and social media is probably the biggest challenge because there is an unlimited amount of other people out there for you. You know, if this was 50 years ago, you're kind of unless you're doing a mail order bride kind of situation, you've got the people in your immediate vicinity to interact with, but now you can hop on Tinder. You can get on any, you know, number of apps, even just Instagram and connect with an infinite number of people seemingly. So it's hard when it feels like there might be something better out there. That's actually accessible to really put in the time and effort cultivating your current relationship. Exactly. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And that actually goes right into my next question. You know, what what impact, if any, uh, would you say technology has had on relationships over the past 20 years? Oh, gosh, so much. And and not all bad. Um, Some of the good parts are that you're likely to meet people and connect with people you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, And that's how my husband and I met. Um, You know, I I don't think I would have met him through any mutual friends or any of the places I normally went to. So technology can bring people together. Um, There's a lot of resources with technology. There's, you know, on social media in particular, one of the good things is that there are experts out there like myself and other much more esteemed, you know, very famous people, Brené Brown, Esther Perel, people who are putting their information for how to have a healthy relationship out there for free for people. So resources and information is a great impact of technology. But the flip side being having unlimited access to people, having so many modes of communication where, you know, it used to be someone would send you a letter or they'd call your house kind of thing. But now you've got Snapchat, Tinder, Instagram, TikTok, um, LinkedIn, email, all of it. And People, if you're going to be dishonest and you're going to be talking to people outside of your relationship, it's it's a lot easier these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, how would you say COVID has affected the dating scene as a whole? Oh, goodness. 
I feel so badly for my single clients over the past year. The people who really um, took COVID very seriously and stayed very isolated um, really were hit hard with a lot of loneliness and a lot of lack of connection and feeling like it's hopeless because especially when we were really in the thick of things and we had no idea how long it was going to be this way. I had a lot of clients say that they, they felt like their chance at a relationship had been taken away, that it felt like they were just permanently going to be in this state of being alone and not being able to meet new people. So luckily that's not the case as much anymore. And in fact, I kind of think if you want to date, if you're single right now, it's a great time to be single because everyone is ready to be out meeting people, going on dates. Um, I think people are just so sick of being pent up and alone that um, people are going to be a little bit more free and flexible with each other. So hopefully that will help alleviate some of the nerves and anxiety that come out of dating just that everyone, everyone wants this. Right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, th- this kind of touches on something that you had mentioned previously. Um, over the past 20 years, um, I feel like we've seen the rise of dating websites and and now dating apps. You know, w- once upon a time, I feel like this was seen as a kind of strange way to meet people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but now it's become more of the standard. You know, would you say dating apps help or hurt? you know, your chances of finding a meaningful relationship with someone? So uh, I have a mixed answer to this. Overall, I'm very pro dating apps. And um, as I alluded to before, I did meet my husband on a dating app. We met on Hinge. And so there's a part of me that's very fond of them. And I have other friends who have married people they've met on dating apps as well. But I think it depends which dating app you're using and with what intention. So if you are sticking solely to Tinder, for example, that has a reputation of being more of a hookup app. It's not that people don't form relationships or end up married from Tinder, but that's not the main point of it. Whereas other apps are a little bit more relationship oriented. So I think you need to be intentional about which platform you're using. But one of my favorite things about online dating, as opposed to meeting people out in public, is that you're already coming to the table with a general understanding that you're both open to a relationship. Whereas when you meet someone in public, you might really enjoy them, but you don't know if they're even single, let alone open to dating. So at least with online dating, kind of the the intentions can be laid out a little bit more clearly from the outset. And that can avoid some confusion and complication that occurs with meeting people organically. Gotcha. Nice. That was very well, that was actually very well explained, uh, by the way. Yeah, just saying. Um, Okay, so are there any, um, are there any special initiatives underway um, on your end that you'd like to mention? Absolutely. Um, So I'm first and foremost a licensed clinical psychologist, and I do have a private practice in Denver where I um, see clients for private therapy, but I am launching my new business, which is a um, more focused on the coaching side. Um, focus solely on breakups and helping people heal from them, process them and learn from them so that, you know, to one of your earlier points, you're not bringing in that baggage to the same extent to your next relationship, that you feel that you've gotten good closure, good understanding of what happened in your situation, your own patterns and tendencies, so that you're even better equipped for a relationship in the future. And so that's what I'm I'm working on a group program for that, um, and I am opening up a couple of one-on-one spots for coaching coming up. Um, I have a free breakup first aid guide available on my website, 
and a free Facebook community called the Breakup Clinic, um, where people can join and support each other, share stories, and get weekly tidbits from me on video. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, Dr. Liner, I want um, to thank you very much for taking time to sit down with me today. This was a really good conversation and you were, um, it, se- it seemed to me like you were very honest and to the point with um, you know, everything that you had to say. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. And this concludes my interview with Dr. Andrea Liner. If you would like to know more about Dr. Liner, please visit her website uh, at drandrealiner.com. That's drandrealiner.com. Uh, Liner is spelled L-I-N-E-R. Also, if you liked what we talked about today, feel free to um, subscribe, um, give the podcast a rating, whatever you think it deserves. You know, you know the drill by now. Aside from that, um, I have nothing more. Have a great day, everyone.